You're listening to the New City Church Sermon Podcast. We exist to love God, to love our neighbors, and to make known the good news of Jesus Christ. To this end, we seek to cultivate a spirit-filled, gospel-centered community that multiplies disciples of Jesus and churches for the glory of God, the joy of all people, and the good of the city. If you'd like to learn more about New City, including service times, discipleship pathways, and opportunities to serve and fellowship with us, please visit us online at newcitykc.org. Well, good morning. How are we? Good to see all of you. My name is Ryan, I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, as, as Josh might have mentioned, uh, we're starting a new series uh, this morning. And we're going to do something we've never done as a church family, which um, is we're going to actually uh, preach from the Bible. Uh, no, that's a joke. Um, <laughs> no, we, uh, we preach from the Bible every Sunday. Uh, but the reality is we've never actually walked through the entire scope of the scriptures in one, one series. And so we're going to be spending the next, oh, nine months or so kind of looking at 30,000 feet, kind of the, the story of scripture uh, and how we do see Jesus on, on every, every page. And so uh, it's going to be a, a great time because also the kids are going to be doing very similar uh, work in kids ministry, those kids that participate in the kids ministry. Um, we have some questions and things that families can do together. And so we're trying to connect kind of the whole church, our groups. Everything we're doing, we're just going to spend kind of the year um, or the next nine months or so just digging into the scriptures, just enjoying God and his word. And, and again, it sounds kind of funny like we open up the scriptures every Sunday, but, but I think to, to really immerse ourselves again in new and hopefully fresh ways to see the grand narrative uh, of scripture is a really helpful, I think, activity and practice that we can do as a, as a church family. Um, and, and just as I think after the last couple years, I think our leadership has just said, um, you know, with pandemics and, and just chaos, it's good to center ourselves on what is true and right and good and where our true identity comes from uh, and where our life comes from. And it's really to, to, to rehearse and to look at and to reflect on and to pray over and to memorize the, the word of God, the, the story of God. Because I don't know about you, but so often in life when things are falling apart, it's like we try to kind of gut it out. Like if I could... Um, you know, just figure it out, if I can just throw some money at it, or if I can just work harder, or, or rather than going, what story am I a part of? Like, where does it all go? Where is it all headed? Where is it all ending? And to find comfort and to find grace and to find mercy in the story of God. Sorry, I'm popping here a little bit. Um, I don't know if some people can help me on that. but um, So we're going to be spending, again, the uh, bulk of the next year or so, uh, nine months or so, um, and we'll take a few breaks during Advent and during Lent to look at the scriptures from kind of a 30,000 foot um, angle. And, and it's, I think it's important just as you and I, all of us come this morning with different, um, how would I say this, understanding of the scriptures. In other words, the way in which you see the Bible, I think is important. Because for some of us, maybe you grew up in a tradition where the Bible was kind of this inspirational text, right? We, we all know that, right? It's this inspirational text that inspires us to good living, moral living, right? Some of us even saw the, the characters of Scripture, the people of Scripture, like, be like David who slays the giants, right? And you heard a lot of sermons about that, and, you know, about getting out your, you know, slingshot and killing the enemies, whatever the enemies were in your life, right? It's very inspirational, right? There's, there's all kinds of wisdom in the scriptures, right? Which is all true, like how to live our lives, how to be good people, righteous people, loving people. Of course, all those things are good and right. 
But often what we forget about is when we look at the scriptures, that the ultimate hero, the ultimate purpose, the ultimate center of the scriptures is Jesus Christ, the the Messiah, the King, the God who came to redeem and restore all things. And actually, if we don't read the scriptures with the Jesus lens or the Jesus focus, it actually just becomes just kind of an inspirational text, right? Just a moralistic text, a text that Really, you know, I heard a seminary prof one time say that if you don't have Jesus in your sermons or in your teaching or in your um, understanding of Scripture, then you're just preaching Jewish sermons, right? It's just about Old Testament law, and, but it never gets to Jesus. It never gets to the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ. So it's really important that we understand that when we read the Scriptures is that Jesus is the centerpiece. Jesus is the one who, who made all things and also is redeeming all things. Um, one of my, my favorite things to do, um, and Matt and I were just talking about this recently, is, is to, to wander the halls of the Nelson Atkins Museum. And I don't know if you've been to the Nelson Atkins. You should go if you haven't. Um, but it's free, uh, just so you know. Um, don't listen to them. They'll try to bribe you and get you to give money. But um, I mean, you can. It's fine. They need to support them. But um, would take the whole family. And I, I love wandering the halls. And, and something about art, that when you see a, a beautiful painting, I'm not like an art expert by any means, but sometimes you look at a painting and you just go like, okay, what? what? What's going on here, right? And then sometimes you'll come back to that same painting again and again and again, and you just see a little, a little different angle, a little different color tone, right? Like, oh, interesting, okay. And then you come back again and again and again, and all of a sudden this, this picture starts to emerge. You begin to see life and brilliance and beauty and brightness and go, oh, my gosh, this is amazing, right? Anybody ever had that experience, right? You're just, you're not really sure. And it's not that you have to have answers for it, but I think a lot of ways that's what the scriptures do. And so as we spend time in them, hopefully the picture that's emerging is this good God who created all things and made us in his image, this good God who came to redeem and restore all that was lost. And if we spend enough time and we, we hang out with it long enough, these little images begin to, to surface that, that really the whole thing is about Jesus. And I want to just submit to you this morning, and, and I know a lot of pastors don't say this enough, but the scriptures are challenging. Like if you were just to hand someone a Bible and just say, just pick any page and just read it, right? It's, it's, it's kind of confusing, right? Any amens to that, right? I mean, it's like why we tap out in our Bible reading plan after Leviticus, right? It's just like, I don't know what's going on. There's a lot of death. There's a lot of blood. There's a lot of animals. I'm not really sure how this applies to my, my life, right? And so it is difficult. But hopefully as we kind of immerse ourselves, we'll begin to see a little more pictures, a little more enlightening, a little more connecting the dots that the whole thing is centered around Jesus Christ and his life and his death and his resurrection. A little bit of what, what the Jesus Storybook Bible says, there's, there's a whisper of Jesus on every page. There's echoes, there's hints, there's a voice that's speaking through the scriptures, primarily the voice of Jesus Christ. One of the scriptures that I, I love, and again, this uh, sermon this morning is going to be kind of just introductory as we kind of get into this series, but one of the, the scriptures that I think says this really well is Colossians chapter uh, 1, and, and in Colossians chapter 1, if I can find it, it says this, verse 15, it says, he, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him and all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Notice how many times it says, by him, all things, all, all, all. 
And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, or making peace by the blood of his cross. Um, I had the privilege to go to seminary and learn Greek, and all here means all. All things are held together by Jesus. All of history, all of creation, your life, my life, everything is moving. That's why we're called Christians, <laughs> because we believe that Jesus is the center of human history, that everything revolves around him, his creating all things, but also his redeeming of all things. That's what makes us Christians, right? It's about Jesus. Like if, you, if Jesus isn't part of what it means to be a Christian, we're, we're playing a different game, right? We're listening to a different plot, a different, different story, and, and, and there's such a, a reality of when we look at the scriptures, the, the story nature of it. I love what G.K. Chesterton once said. He said, I always felt like life first as a story. And if there's a story, there's a storyteller, right? I think that's why we're fascinated by, by any kind of story, right? A good film, um, uh, someone tells a story. Like, I don't know if you have grandparents, but I just loved hearing my, the stories of my grandparents. They're all passed away now. My grandfather was a World War II test pilot, and um, he used to tell him and his, his friend Buzz, which you can't make up, was also a pilot, um, and, and they would talk with no irony how many times they crashed their planes. Like Buzz would just be like, oh yeah, one time I was flying and went down. It's like, what? You, like you went down? Like down on the ground? He's like, yeah, and, you know, I had to bail out and da-da-da. Just hearing those stories, right? There's something in us that we, we're a story people. We know we're part of something bigger. We tell these stories. We're drawn to these stories, whether in books or film or, or just personal interactions. But there's a bigger story that's going on in the universe. And the scriptures are, are ultimately that story of trying to make sense of it all. It's also why if you guys, um, I know uh, the Lord of the Rings new series came out, and I know there's a lot of geeks getting all excited about that, and maybe you're one of them. Um, but, you know, J.R.R. Tolkien, you know, uh, wrote the Lord of the Rings, and, and he was good friends with C.S. Lewis, if you didn't know that in history. And they used to talk about story, and they used to talk about the scriptures and how scripture is the story of all stories. Um, and, and here's what uh, Tolkien, he said, said, he said, of course, I do not mean that the gospels tell what is only a fairy story. But I do mean very strongly that they do tell a fairy story, the greatest. Man, the storyteller, would have to be redeemed in a manner consonant with his nature by a moving story. But since the author of it is the supreme artist and the author of reality, this one also made to be true on the primary plane. And that's a lot of jargon in there. But what he's saying is there's a master artist behind every story. And that master artist ultimately is Jesus Christ. That we also could say that the Trinitarian God, the Father, Son, and Spirit, the one true living God is telling a story over history that we are invited to be part of. But it's essential that as we engage with this story that Jesus is our focus. Jesus is the center or it goes off the rails. It becomes something else. It becomes just about wisdom or just about inspiration, but not about the God who's come to redeem and restore all things. And so what I want to do this morning, just for a few moments here together, is just, I want to give us just some grounding text, because we're going to start in Genesis, and actually next week we're going to dig into Genesis a little bit further. Um, but Genesis is the first book of the Bible, if you didn't know that, um, and I think it would be a good, good place to start, because I think it gives us just a, a picture of why it's, it's essential for understanding what God is up to through his story uh, here, the Bible. And so when we look at Genesis, right in the beginning, 
the first opening verses, we read this. Genesis, we're just going to read one and two. We'll, we'll hit a few verses, and we'll, we'll, I'm going to jump around a little bit, so you'll you have to uh, stick with me if you can. But um, if you need these texts later, just let me know, and I'll, I'll get them to you. But Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the, the waters. And, and isn't it interesting that the scriptures themselves, the, the story of God starts with creator God. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. A fancy way to say he made everything. Everything we see, everything we, we can't see there. The, the earth had no form, it had no existence, but God moves in this, this formless and void, uh, void, voided or voidless, if you want, uh, creation that had darkness over it and the face of the deep and the spirit of God. And again, we start to see hints of the Trinitarian God, the Father and the Son and the Spirit. The Spirit's already there. There's this chaotic creation and God moves in to bring order to it. There is chaos, but God is a God of order. Isn't it interesting, I don't know how many of you have come home from a day of work, and I don't know, um, maybe if, unless you're insane or something, but um, you come home and go, you know what, today was just absolutely chaotic, and I loved it, <laughs> right? Like nothing worked, everybody was angry, right? Like I couldn't get my computer turned on, and just people were screaming, and there's water dripping from the ceiling, there's animals running through the office, I mean, it was just awesome, right? Like nobody says that right? It's the opposite of that. It's, it's when it's orderly, right? It's when there's, there's rhythm to it. There, there's a, 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 a way of working through things that, that isn't chaos, right? Things are actually clicking and working. So here's this God who creates the, the world, and it's, it doesn't have any shape, but he comes to bring order to it, bring rhythm to it. It's supposed to work in a certain way. You can even say, like, that's why our lives are supposed to work a certain way according to our, our creator, like, like we don't like chaos. We don't, we don't like when things aren't working. We want it to, to, to flow and, and, and work and be efficient, right? So you can try to imagine for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, fathers sitting around the table telling this creation story to their families, right? Mothers sitting around a table telling this story to their kids as they're going about their day, right? For thousands and thousands of years, let me tell you the story of God and his creation in the beginning, right? Because the creation story is to ground us in the place in which God is redeeming all things, in the place in which God is at work. And let me tell you about the, the story of all stories that gives meaning and reality to everything, to your life, to my life. Let me tell you a, a story of why things are the way they are. Let me tell you a story of why things went off the rails. And that's what stories are supposed to do, what good stories are supposed to do. Now, you have to remember that this story, Genesis 1, is being told among other creation accounts during this time. There were uh, Egyptian creation accounts. There were other nations that had their own version of, cre of creation accounts. And so what, what Moses is doing as he tells the story is to say, I want to tell you about the one true story that gives meaning to all stories. That in the beginning, God created. In the beginning, there was a chaotic world that had no form or shape, but a God moved in by the Spirit and began to give order to it. And I think that's why it's um, 
kind of silly in some ways that we get into these debates about, you know, is the world, uh, is creation, you know, 5,000 years old or is it 13 point, you know, 8 billion years old or was it literal six days or literal seven days? And, and, and we create these camps of, hey, are you on this side? Or are you that side? But this is not what Moses is doing. Moses doesn't have any idea of what that even means. He's telling the story about the creator God who made heavens and earth, who holds the whole thing together. He wants you to get into that story and say that whatever your life is, wherever you've been, whatever's going on, I want you to know about this God who cares for you, who loves you, who's good, that even though there's chaos and, and, and trouble in the world, God comes and brings order to it. He brings shape to it. He brings rhythm to it. That even the heart that's in your chest has a certain rhythm and beat to it so that you can live and have your blood flow through your veins and your heart in a particular way. Even God thought through that. I mean, there's just this rhythm, this beep that just kind of goes through all of creation, right? We're, um, apparently we're in summer again, but usually there's a, a fall season right now um, and fall and then we have winter and we have spring and we have summer and there's these rhythms and things that the plants in your yard, they, they live and they bloom and then they, they die, Right? There's times of victory, there's times of sorrow, there's a time, there's a season for everything that God is behind all of those, those rhythms. But he's inviting us in to be part of the story. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God made all things. In the beginning, God, in his goodness and kindness, says, I'm gonna give order to everything, and you get to be, be part of that. And so as you kind of move through the, the creation account, again, we won't get into the, the deep weeds this morning. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit more next week. But God creates everything, the heavens um, and, and the earth and the spirit that, that hovers over, over the waters. And it's, it's an important, I think, also just to say uh, one more thing about the spirit is I, I love throughout the history of the church, the spirit was often seen as a dove. Right? Have you heard this imagery before? A bird, if you will. Um, we actually, um, before we covered up our baptismal, um, uh, there used to be a mural of a dove. Uh, it was really gaudy, but um, we covered it up. But you can actually climb up behind there and see it if you'd like. Um, but, but I love that imagery of a dove, this idea of a bird hovering over creation. Because also, what does when you think of the imagery later, even in the Psalms, this, this mother hen or this bird that takes care of their young. That in many ways, that's what God does. I'm, I'm here to care for you and nourish you and bring order to chaos, right? That you look around and all you see is a mess, but here's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm reordering things. I'm giving it meaning. I'm giving it weight. I'm, I'm pushing it where it needs to go. And then, then as you move through the, the, the creation account, again, I, I said this in a sermon a few, a few months ago, but, but God is the, you know, the, Jesus is the photosynthesis of our lives because in verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there were evening, and there was morning at the first day. Without light, without sun, there is no life, right? You know basic science class, right? Victoria teaches science to kids, right? Photosynthesis. Without sunshine, there is no life. So isn't it interesting that even God in his goodness, even God in his kindness says there has to be light for there to be life. And that's why later we'll get to it in just a moment, but in John chapter 1, when, when John talks, gives his creation account about Jesus, that Jesus is the light and life. Again, picking up on creation imagery, without him there is no life. 
and there's a rhythm to it. There's, there's darkness, there's, there's light, there's plants, there's animals, there's vegetation. And, and as it says in, in verse 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. They all fit together. Um, certain breeds of animals go together. Vegetation goes together. The food chain works together. Now, I don't know how that works today because it seems like at least with dogs and things, we're just putting them all together. Like we have some kind of hybrid dog of uh, poodle and I don't know, pit bull and some other things. Um, but right, there's no purebred things, not according to their kinds, right? It's like everything, but everything has its place. Everything works together. It's the kindness of God. I made things to function and be ordered in a certain way. I love what the the psalmist says in Psalm uh, 19. You can flip there if you'd like, but Psalm 19 talks about how God reveals his knowledge, reveals who he is through the creation. And Psalm 19, he says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. <clears throat> Excuse me. And like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Here's David singing the song of creation, saying, if you would just open your eyes and look out the window, God's glory and God's knowledge is everywhere. This God who made all things, this God who ordered all things, this God by his spirit who took what was, what was formless and void and gave weight to it and gave shape to it, this God who said, let there be light so that you could have life, that God, if you just would open your eyes and open the window, you will see his knowledge and his glory speaking everywhere. But how often is our heads down, right? How often we don't see the glory of God everywhere, from every blade of grass to every sunset to every sunrise, right? One of the um, <laughs> strange gifts of the pandemic um, was I started no noticing my lawn more, um, looking out the window, right? You just have time, right? And it's kind of sad because you realize like you live your life with your head down most of the time. Like I gotta get through this. I gotta get the kids here. I gotta get through my job. I gotta, you know, whatever it is. But, but taking all that away, taking away, you know, extra work that we have, it's like just pause and just go like, that's, I never saw that tree before, all right? Squirrels are pretty awesome, Right? If you like pause and, and watch them, and, and they're actually not. I actually don't like squirrels. Um, I, I don't want to. I don't want to go to some dark places. Um, they just eat everything on our porch, and um, they have no. Doesn't matter. Um, but you start noticing things, and you say, "God created that." God reveals His knowledge. God reveals what He's like through His creation, everything speaks to who he is. And, and, and every time we, we see the sun come up, God gives a little wink and, and says, here I am, I love you. Every, every time the sun goes down, he gives a little wink and says, here I am, I, I love you. Every time you have, you, you sit there and you just think for a moment that I'm alive, that I'm, I'm here and my, my blood is pumping through my veins and, and I have life today, a little wink and a nod that I'm here, I'm with you. When you wander through the halls of the Nelson Atkins and you see beautiful art, it's just a little nod to say, I'm here. I've made this beauty for you to enjoy. And so often we forget that. 
I love, I love with the, the Jesus Storybook Bible how it describes the creation account in this little phrase. It says, in the beginning there was nothing. Nothing to see, nothing to hear, nothing and darkness. Nothing but darkness and nothing but nothing. But God was there and had a wonderful plan. I'll take the emptiness and fill it up. I'm going to make everything, right? How many of you after like a, a day of work, you like complete a project, right? You just nailed that Excel spreadsheet. You're just like, I nailed it. Got the formulas right, right? Um, if you're Jerry Smith, you know, we did a present PowerPoint presentation. You're just like, I just nailed it. My trans- transitions were off the chain and, you know, the sound effects were amazing. And you just feel really good about the day, right? You completed a task. You ever have those, those feelings? Like, it just felt like really good. Nobody's had that, that moment. Okay, we're not, no feedback. Okay, like, life is terrible. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. But for the few of us that have had that experience, that's why as a pastor, I love mowing my lawn. Um, it's like the only thing I feel complete in my life, like working with souls and spirit. You know, it's just like, can I see some results? Um, but the, the mowing the lawn just feels really good. I've heard it said one time that, Maybe that's a little bit of what God felt when he created the world. That when he stood back on that seventh day and he looked out on all that he made, and he said, it's very good. The sense of satisfaction, look what I made, the sun and the stars and the days and the night and the seasons and humans made in his image, which we'll we'll talk about in just a moment here. That sometimes when we sit back, because we're made in his image, and we we just kind of take a moment where it feels like everything's okay, and we just have this sense of satisfaction, like, ah, look what I made. Right? I think that's the same satisfaction that God had, right? Because we're made in his image, right? Where he's made for us to, to work and to steward creation, to oversee creation. And that's why he says his, his greatest creation isn't the sun and the stars and the moon. His greatest accomplishment isn't those squirrels and deer and caterpillars. But his greatest creation, if we go back to Genesis 1, is humanity, Right? Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every other creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created him. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the living things that move on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed in it on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And every beast in the earth and every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every plant for food. And it was so, and God saw that everything that he had made, and behold, here's what he says, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. God creates light and darkness and plants and animals, and he says, we see that in verses nine and 3 and 9 and 10 and 16 17, said it's good. But when he creates us, male and female, made in his image, he says, it's very good. That's why the psalmist says that humanity is the crowned glory of God's creation. Now, if you're like me, most of my days, I go through my days seeing people as a problem to be solved. I see humans as competition getting in my way to getting wherever I need to be, right? Often I see humans as 
not the glorious creation made in the image of God, but just people who just make a mess of everything. (laughs) Now, we'll keep reading the story. We know we do make a mess of everything. We just haven't got to Genesis 3 yet. But how often do we not pause long enough to say, this is an image bearer of God? It's not a competition. It's not who's right and who's wrong and who votes what and who goes what, right? Like this is God's prized creation and yet when they don't think like us and believe like us and look like us, we go, that's junk. I don't have time for that. That's more an affront to God than anything else. This thing that God made in his creative graciousness and goodness says this is my prized possession. I've made it to reflect my glory, right? To steward creation, to oversee it, to to work and and move and and have our being in in the world and to make things and create things and and do things. God's given us that ability. We can't say, oh, that's just junk. (laughs) It's just in the way of getting to my dreams. How often have we done that? I remember reading a story years ago by Eugene Peterson, who was a, a pastor that um, he wrote the Bible, uh, the message, and uh, a version of the Bible. And uh, he was telling this story of how him and his family were on a vacation in Yellowstone National Park. And I don't know if you guys have ever been to Yellowstone. It's pretty, pretty amazing. Um, and he's going, uh, they're, they're going through the, the uh, park, and, and he sees this little girl. And she goes and she starts picking flowers and there's a lot of signs you're not supposed to really do that. You're not supposed to pick up the, the foliage and stuff like that. And he just like starts having like a panic attack and he's just angry. And he's like yelling at this like seven and eight-year-old girl like, don't pick the flowers. What are you doing? Put those back. And he's just getting riled up, right? And his kids, who were very young at the time, actually said, Dad, like, why are you yelling at this girl? He's like, look what she's doing. She's picking up the flowers. Like they're supposed to stay in the ground. This is God's creation. This is, this is beautiful. And he, and, and he goes, Dad. Like, you're a pastor. You know the Bible. That little girl's made in the image of God, too. That God's glory is revealed in that little girl, too. You should treat her differently than yelling at her and saying, stop picking up the flowers, right? We should marvel at that little girl going, this is God's image bearer, right? Reflecting the goodness of God, the creativity of God, the artistry of God, the the beauty of God, the love of God. This is a, a human being, a prized possession. But often what happens is they just get in our way. They just get in our way. We treat them less than. We forget they're made by God. That without God, they wouldn't even have life, right? And so God gives us, gives humanity this, this privilege to steward his creation, to look over it, to name the animals, to work jobs and to take the stuff of creation and, and, and orchestrate it and work it in a way that, that we can thrive in the world. I was, I was talking to a bunch of men this weekend at a, at a men's retreat at another church. And we were talking about, if you were to pause just for a moment and think about, if you took away every job in our city and and no one worked jobs, how chaotic the city would be. You would have trash piled up miles high in your front yard, right? Your pipes would be broken, water would be flowing through, right? There'd just be chaos, right? You just think about all the little jobs that people do every single day to keep us safe. You think about police officers. You think about firemen. You think about teachers. You think about all the men and women who make a city go, and it's all part of stewarding God's creation. You take that all away, and it's just absolute chaos. But even God, knowing that it could go off the rails, because it often does because of our wicked, human, selfish hearts. <laughs> he says, that's how I think about you. That's why I've given you this privilege 
to be part of my creation, to steward it, to look over it, to name the animals, to name the plants, to reflect my goodness out into the world. Now, when we read the scriptures, and this is one of the just little gifts that I love about the scriptures, is that when we look at Genesis 1, and if you flip over to John chapter 1, the Gospel of John, we see John writing here his own creation narrative with a little twist. So, so God creates the heavens and the earth, and his, his glory, his knowledge is revealed through the heavens and the earth, and he gives order to it, right? It's chaos, it's void, it doesn't have any shape, but God in his kindness and goodness gives order to it. He makes man in his image to reflect him in, into the world and says, hey, go steward my creation, go procreate, right? I mean, I don't think we even think about that long enough that humans have the ability to make life. Like, that's, that's astounding. Like, I, again, we, we think of it in terms of just biology and science, which is all true, but if you've had children and you just think like there's a, a living human growing in my wife's womb, like that's astounding. Like they weren't there and now they're there. And yeah, they can be have some challenging moments as children outside the womb. I, I get that. But God says, go make life. Go steward life. But then notice how John talks about the life of all life. John chapter one, in the beginning, sounds like creation, doesn't it? Sounds like Genesis, doesn't it? In the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You can tell John knows his Genesis really well. Light and life. In the beginning, God created, right? But here's what's interesting. The little twist is that in the beginning, this word Jesus, the Logos, was always existent. Jesus didn't come on the scene 2,000 years ago when he was born in Bethlehem. He's always been. He was with God in the beginning, Father, Son, and Spirit. We even saw that little glimpses of that in Genesis 1. This triune God, Jesus was right there. You talk about Jesus being on every page. Guess what? He's right there in verse 1. He's right there whispering, echoing, I was there. I made all this, right? I made all this beauty, all this goodness that you get to enjoy. I made the sun and the stars and the life. And now I've come to bring light and life to men. That though, though I made all these things and though I, I deserved all the glory and all the credit because I am the maker God. Because guess what? When you make everything, you deserve to be worshiped. Nobody else gets to say, I did that. Nobody does that, right? And it's not an egotistical thing. It's a, hey, you make everything, you, you get, let us play you get the worship, right? But we know the story that Jesus had to come because despite knowing that he made it all, all this glory and goodness and beauty, we said, no thanks, I'll do things my own way. And so Jesus comes even to his own people who knew the scriptures backwards and forward to, to bring light and life to the, the word of God, the logos, the knowledge of all knowledge, the story of all story who holds everything together to come and redeem and restore what was broken by sin and rebellion against this creator redeeming God. And so John is telling the story of Jesus' incarnation to say the whole creation Everything we see and don't see is dependent on Jesus himself. That all of human history is dependent on Jesus to make things new. And it's also to say that this world in which we live is a perfectly safe world to be. 
because God is good and God made it good. That doesn't mean there isn't evil and suffering and loss and death. Of course not. I'm not saying that at all. But when we ground ourselves in the creation story, we ground ourselves in texts like John chapter 1, we begin to see a bigger story unfolding and say, this world, this place is where God is and is doing his best work and it's absolutely perfectly safe to be. There is no plan B. This is it, right? I love what Dallas Willard said in The Divine Conspiracy, one of his famous books. He says, Jesus brings us the assurance that the universe is a perfectly safe place for us to be. That's what I just said. Just quoting him. Perfectly safe. It's why the scriptures are so important for us to ground ourselves in. How often do we live our daily existence in fear, right? Fear is the driver of everything. Fear is the driver of marketing, right? It's the fear that I don't have something. If I don't have this car, if I don't have the iPhone, what are we on, 19, 18, 17? Um, I'm not sure which version. And if you just upgraded, hey, may God be with you. But it's that, that idea that creeps in, right, that, that I need this thing. If I don't have this thing, I'm not going to be as efficient or creative or, right, if I don't have certain makeup, if I don't wear certain clothes, right? If I don't have a certain amount of money, if I don't have a certain amount of money in my retirement, if I don't, right? If I don't live in a certain uh, house or I, I don't, right? It's always like fear. You're, you're behind. You better catch up, right? You're failing in your career. You're failing in your work. You're not where you should be. You should be owning the company by now and you don't own the company, so you're a loser, right? Well, you're a pastor in a church. Why isn't your church bigger? Why isn't there more people? Why aren't the people nicer, right? I'm talking to you, church. Um, no, uh, <laughs> Right? We can fall into that trap. Why don't we have more money? Why don't, right? I, gotta, I won't call him out, but I got a pastor friend in here today, right? Wish we had more money in our budget, right, Bill? Um, we all feel that weight. It's all based on fear. Believing that where we are, where we live, is not a safe place to be. And so we're going to do everything in our power to get away from this place. But we know we can't, right? I'm going to move here. I'm going to get a new relationship. I'm going to go there. I'm going to try a new job. I'm going to try a new wife. I'm going to try more drugs. I'm going to try a different beer. I'm going to try whatever it is. We still bring our same heart with us, and we still have to live in the same creation that God, God made. But, but God is speaking through his son, and that's why he says in Hebrews chapter 1, in the last days, um, after Jesus comes and lives and dies and resurrects us from the dead, the Hebrew writer, Hebrews writer in chapter 1 <clears throat> says, Long ago at many times and in many places God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Good. He wants to remind us of creation. God, Jesus made the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his name and upholds the universe by the word of his power. In other words, when you see Jesus, you see what God is like. He's the exact imprint, the exact nature. If you have any questions of what God is like, well, he just seems like a monster and he's judgmental. I've read the Old Testament. Well, if you want to see who Jesus really is or God is, you look at Jesus. He's the exact reflection of what God is like. He was the incarnate God, embodied God, come to earth to say, this is what I'm like. This is who I've always been. I'm the creator God. But he's also the redeemer God. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. God spoke in many ways in the past. 
through prophets, through laws, through covenants, through promises. But in these last days now, God speaks primarily through Jesus. That we don't have to live in the dark. That we go to Jesus and we realize that, that the scriptures themselves, even the, the, there, there's nothing to add to the scriptures because Jesus has, has, has done what he came to do. What the Old Testament promised, this Messiah who would come, who would suffer and die to redeem and restore the world, has now come and done that. And then he, he lived and he gave us the Holy Spirit and then leaves and then says, I'm coming again to redeem and restore all things. All of that is done. So in the last days, we need to listen ultimately to Jesus, to what he's up to, to where it's all headed and where history is moving. It's also why when Jesus was on the earth, um, he gives us a glimpse into one of the greatest Bible studies that you and I could have ever been part of, and it's in Luke chapter 24. It's on the road <clears throat> to Emmaus. Jesus has resurrected from the dead. There's a couple of disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. They're confused. <laughs> Even though they knew the scriptures backwards and forwards, they're just like, I don't know. He said he's going to die and resurrect from the dead, but I don't know what's going on. And Jesus meets them on the road, which I think is just another act of his mercy and his kindness. He's like, I don't want to leave you in the dark. I want you to know what's going on. And so in Luke chapter 24, verse 24, he says, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. Fair point. And he said to them, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart, this is Jesus talking, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them and all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Did you hear it? That's Old Testament. That's old school. There's no New Testament. There's not even barely an Old Testament at this time. He's going back to the Old Testament saying, there I am, there I am, where Moses said and the prophets and the promises and the covenants and the commands, there I am, there I am, at the creation account and the creation of the world, there I am, I'm whispering on every page about a God who's come to redeem and restore, to love us, to forgive us, to give us new life and give us hope. These disciples were confused, this God who had to suffer and die so that we could come into the family of God, there I am, there I am, I never left you, I've been with you the whole time. And then Jesus moves over a few verses later to his disciples. Again, one of my favorite stories of all of scripture, <clears throat> Jesus is resurrected from the dead. And after you resurrect from the dead, what do you do? You give a great Bible study? No, you go, hey, let's eat. In verse 36, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. They were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why no doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, this is I myself, touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, and while they still disbelieved for joy, were marveling at him, he said, he said, have you anything here to eat? Which shows, again, his resurrected body he needed to eat. And it's also a little glimpse into what's coming for us. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and he ate before them. Catch this. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and the repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in the name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on. Hi, oh, if we could have been part of that Bible study. Here I am in the Psalms. Here I am in the law. 
Here I am in the prophets. All that was supposed to happen has happened in me. My life, my death, my resurrection, my making of all things new. The same God who created all things and says, the heavens and the earth pour forth my knowledge. It's everywhere. If you just had eyes to see. And now the God who comes into human history, into the the sweaty, broken mess of sin and suffering and sorrow and says, even though you've rejected me, I love you. I'm laying my life down for you so that you can be part of my family. This creation that was broken and marred by sin and evil, I'm now restoring it and making it new in me. I've never left you. I've been with you before there was even a with you. Before there was even a creation before it even came into existence, I've always been. So I don't know how the Bible works on you, and I don't know in different seasons of life we need to hear it in new and fresh ways, and I can't force that, and only the Spirit can do that. But sometimes I just need to hear that. Like, I've been with you forever. Like, before the foundation of the world, I've been with you. Like, your little problem's not that big a deal, (laughs) right? Like, I know you wanted 137 degrees, uh, your Starbucks order, and it, but it was 132. It's okay. You're going to be okay. The things I stress over, over family and health and money and you guys, you know, all those things that, I, that weigh on me, those are good things. And it's not that we shouldn't worry about those things and, 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 and think about those things and pray for those things, of course. But it's good to put ourselves back in the story to remember the creator God that says, this place is perfectly safe for me to work in you and through the world. It's, everything's going to ultimately be okay. Because my son has proven it's going to be okay. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't left you in the dark. He's actually come to bring light and life. And I think that's why the the gospel story is really good news. It's really a story of good news. It's not something we add to. It's not something we do. It's simply something we receive by faith and and participate in. I love how N.T. Wright in his book, Good News of the Gospel, says the good news was and is that all this has happened in and through Jesus, that one day it will happen completely and utterly to all creation, and that we humans, every single one of us, whoever we are, can be caught up in that transformation here and now. No matter who we are, no matter how far we've strayed. That's the good news of the gospel. That Jesus says, I've made all things, I'm redeeming all things, I haven't left you. It's ultimately going to be okay. That's the good news. That's the story that we share. That's the story we should live in and bask in and marvel at when things feel like they're going off the rails. And how often do I have to do that when I read a news report of some stupid person doing stupid things? Because we're all stupid and we do stupid things. To remind there's a greater story going on. When the diagnosis isn't good, how many times do I have to remind myself there's a bigger story going on that cancer won't have the last say? Right? When, when the money's tight and there's just not that much and it's like how many times do we have to remind ourselves that, that in the end, everything's going to ultimately be okay? And it's not to diminish our problems. It's not to diminish suffering by any means because God meets us right in the midst of the mess.